I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. You can hold your place there. We're going to spend some time there this morning. Uh, we've been talking for the last three weeks about prayer in the midst of this series called A Praying Life. And we've been drawing some very practical advice about prayer from this book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And I know that many of you have purchased this. Some of you are studying it in your small groups. Um, if maybe this is the first that you've heard about it or, or you've just waited to buy one, uh, you can still get this. You can still jump in and read along with us. I think this is about 10 bucks on Amazon, and I really think it's an investment worth making. This book uh, has had a big impact on my own prayer life and my own prayer habits, and, uh, and we think this is, uh, this is an important tool for you to have in your tool bag when it comes to this topic of prayer. And it's such an important topic because the reality is, if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it simply is not going to happen apart from prayer. You're not going to move forward in your, your life with Christ uh, without prayer. And so we, I think we all realize that we should pray, right? I mean, I don't, I don't need to stand up here and tell you that that's what we ought to do. But the reality is prayer is hard. And it's hard to, to, to find time to pray. It's hard to, to know what to pray sometimes. There's always a number of things that are grabbing for our attention and distracting us. And, and maybe even, you know, we wonder if it really makes a difference. What, what, you know, when I pray, it just doesn't even seem like it really did anything anyway. So why pray? Have any of you ever felt that way? Any of you ever felt frustrated about prayer? Well, if that's the case, I'm really glad that you're here today because the whole point of this morning is to address some of those things and really to give you a very practical uh, nuts and bolts kind of approach to prayer. And I'm going to give you a model or a blueprint for prayer that you can start implementing uh, even today. And you can know that the things I'm going to share with you today, uh, when you pray them, you can know that they are things that matter to the heart of God. Now, I want to say something right off the top. Some of you already are faithful in this area of prayer, and, and you may have found a model that works well for you. And so I am not coming this morning to tell you to scrap that and do this instead. But here's what I do want you to do. Uh, if you are already uh, in a pattern of prayer, you're already using a model of prayer that you found helpful, I want you to hold that up against what I'm going to show you this morning. Because the model that I'm going to show you this morning is the model that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6. And so while there are a lot of great models for prayer out there, I think the question that we can ask, even if we've been faithful in prayer, is are there any holes? Have I been missing anything in my current model of prayer? And maybe for you, it's, it's grabbing onto those things and pulling them into your prayer habit. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, here's what I'm going to say about this. I am willing to bet that most of us have heard this passage, uh, if not read it, or even said it out loud at some point in our life. This passage is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I want to read all the way through it, and then we're going to come back and we're going to study it uh, one line at a time. But starting in verse 9, this is Jesus talking, and he says, This then is how you should pray. And I wonder this morning, can we just read this together? Why don't you say it with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, how many of you grew up in a, in a church where you recited that out loud on, with some regularity? Yeah, several of us did. I did too. 
And, uh, and it's something that, that maybe even at times we said uh, those words and we didn't even really, we didn't think about them, right? It just kind of became routine. They came out of our mouths. But notice that Jesus starts by saying, this is how you should pray. Notice he doesn't say, this is what you should pray. Jesus doesn't want us to just mindlessly repeat these words. Uh, but there again, I, I think if we were to think back to our, maybe some of us, our childhood, that's exactly what we were doing. We were just mindlessly repeating these words. That's not what Jesus is looking for. I want you to think about the times in the New Testament. Uh, we've even talked about them here on Sunday morning, the times where Jesus stayed up all night in prayer. Well, was Jesus just repeating these words over and over and over again all night long? Of course not. That, that would be silly. But what I do think uh, he was likely doing was he was patterning his prayers after what he's now giving to his disciples in the Lord's Prayer. And so he tells us, this is how you should pray. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. There's a lot right with praying the Lord's Prayer. So I'm not saying don't pray this. I'm just saying we're going to dig deeper today. And I want to give you six words pulled out of the Lord's Prayer that can serve as a template or a model for you in your prayers. The first word is this, if you're taking notes. That's the word Father. Jesus starts by saying, our Father. And I get this question a lot when it comes to prayer. People want to know, who should I pray to? Who am I addressing my prayers to? Do I, do I just start by saying, dear God, uh, am I praying to Jesus? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? Who, who is it that I pray to? And here's what I would say to you if you asked me that question. Every example of prayer that we have in the New Testament is to the Father, with the exception of only one. And it's found in Acts chapter 7, when a man named Stephen is about to be martyred for his faith. And as they're, they're throwing stones at him and killing him, he looks up to heaven and he cries out directly to Jesus. We have that one example of a prayer straight to Jesus. But every other example in the New Testament is people praying to the Father. And there are no examples in the New Testament or anywhere in the Bible that I'm aware of, of anyone praying to the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say, if you, if you say a prayer and, uh, and you, you say, dear Jesus, uh, or you pray to the Spirit, I just want you to know, I highly doubt the prayer police are going to break down your door and uh, hold you accountable for that. But biblically, I want you to know this is what we see. We see that we pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? So if you want to, to model your prayers after Jesus, model your prayers in a biblical way, you pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is beginning to do here. He's showing us how to pray, and he says, our Father. And you need to know that as Jesus is speaking the, these words, this, this teaching on prayer is a part of a, a greater teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 4, 5, and 6. Is that right, or is it five, six, seven? I don't know, I'm not perfect, but it's in there somewhere. Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is, is, is doing is he's, he's teaching on a lot of different categories to a lot of different people. But when he says this, when he says, when you pray, pray our Father, you need to know that that was nothing short of scandalous for the people who were hearing that. Back in Jesus' day, until Jesus came on the scene, you didn't relate to God in that way. To, to approach him in this intimate, relational kind of way was unheard of. But Jesus is teaching them a new reality. And it's a reality that he would soon pay for with his very own blood. So in John, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, we read uh, that to all who did receive him, it's talking about Jesus, 
to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so if you've trusted Jesus with your life, you have access to God. You have the right to go to God in prayer as a child would go to his father. And that's an incredible gift. If you were here with us this past summer, you know we did a series that we called Bad Coffee Mugs. And we were addressing some of the theological mistakes that our culture has uh, largely latched onto and just assumed were true. And one of those bad coffee mugs was the thought that we are all children of God. And what people oftentimes mean when they say that is simply that God made everyone, and so that means that we're all his children. That is not a biblical view of who God's children are. Yes, God did create everyone, but John chapter 1 is very clear that the children of God are those who have believed in Christ's name, those who have received Jesus. They are the ones he gave the right to become children of God. And because of Jesus... He's the reason why we can now approach God as Father. And so I wonder, do you think about that when you pray? Do you think about God as your Father? Because as a father myself, I love hearing what's on my kids' hearts. Sometimes I'll just ask them, pretty frequently actually, I'll ask them, hey, what are you excited about today? What do you got coming up today? Or, Or what was your favorite part about this past week? Or was there anything that was difficult? Is there anything you need dad's help with? What's going on in your lives? Because I want to know what's going on with my kids. I want to hear from them. I want to know what they're enjoying. I want to know what they're struggling with. And there's an element of our prayers that's exactly like that. It's extremely intimate. It's extremely relational. Your heavenly father loves to hear from you. He wants to know what's on your heart. He wants to know what you're concerned about. Where do you need help? What are you thankful for? Where do you need strength? And for some of you, Whenever we talk about this picture of God as Father, I recognize that that some of you grew up with an earthly father who is distant or maybe even abusive. I recognize that. And maybe your earthly father wasn't a good example to you of what God is like. So talking about God as a good father, it doesn't connect. And Paul Miller actually addresses that issue in A Praying Life. And he says, The fact that we know our earthly fathers were flawed means we know what a good father should be. Have you ever thought about that before? The, the, the fact that, that we can look at our earthly fathers and we can pinpoint those flaws, there's something that we're holding them to. There's some kind of a standard that we understand that this is what a good father would do, and, and you missed the mark here. He says, if we didn't know what a good father was, we couldn't critique our own. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the reason that we know what a good father is and what a good father should be is because of our heavenly father. It's because of the knowledge that he has given us of himself. And I want to say to you, I am sorry to you for those of you who had a poor father a father who is a poor representation of the heavenly father. But I want you to know that where your earthly father failed you, your heavenly father never will. He will not abandon you. He will not neglect you. He is for you. He loves you. And he desires to relate to you in an intimate and relational way. And so that's why Jesus begins by saying, our father. And so I want you to keep that picture of the Father in mind as we consider Jesus' next words, because they almost seem the exact opposite. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So there's that relational aspect to our prayers. He's Father, but there's also something that's different about him. That word hallowed in the text, it means holy. 
And that's the second word that I want you to write down if you're taking notes. The second word to guide our prayers is holy. God is holy. And, and when, when we pray, Jesus teaches us to acknowledge that, to, to recognize that he is not like us. He's set apart. He is perfect and sinless to the point that there's not even the possibility of sin or darkness in him. That's how perfect and holy he is. And every time we get a glimpse of heaven in the scriptures, do you know what it is that we see? It's every living creature in heaven surrounding the throne of God, giving God praise and glory and worship and respect for his holiness. One of my favorite examples of this is in the book of Isaiah. It's in chapter 6 where the prophet Isaiah has this vision. And he says, he says I saw the Lord. And he was high and he was exalted and he was seated on his throne. And the train of his robe was so glorious, it was so, uh, so, so large, it filled the entire temple. And he says that there were these living creatures that had six wings. And with two of those wings, they were covering their faces. Why? Because of the glory of God. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't handle the, the, the light, the pure light of God. And with two of their wings, they were covering their feet. And that just shows a, a respect and a reverence and awe for God. And with two of their wings, they were flying around. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when they would say that, at the sound of their voices, it says the doorposts and the thresholds, they shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And it's just this picture of heartfelt worship and reverence and respect for this hallowed, holy God. And so, how do we bring these two things together? Because Jesus says, pray, our Father. He's this relational, uh, intimate, you know, uh, approachable God. And yet, on the other hand, he's hallowed, he's holy, he's set apart how do we bring those two things together? And why would Jesus tell us to pray this way? Well, I think it's because he knows he's about to pay for that privilege. And again, he knows that through his blood, through his death, we will be made right with God. And only because of that can we approach this holy, hallowed God as Father. It's the reality of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so now, if you're in Christ, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the garbage of your life. He sees the perfect life of his son, Jesus. That's what happened on the cross. There was this unfair exchange where Jesus got all of our junk and we got all of his righteousness. And so because of that, we can now approach our holy, hallowed God. But Jesus tells us to remember when we pray. Remember that he's father, but that came at a price because he's also holy. And so as we approach our father, we should remember he's hallowed, he's holy, he's different than us. And then Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, when you pray, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the third word I want you to write down is the word kingdom. The third word to guide our prayers is kingdom because there is a place called heaven where right now God's will is being done. And in heaven, things are as they should be. God is being glorified. He's being worshiped. And it's what Isaiah saw in the vision that we talked about just a minute ago. And Jesus tells us when we pray, we should pray that it would be like that on earth. We should pray that God's kingdom would come on earth, that his will would be done on earth. When we pray, our prayers should have a kingdom focus. So let's pause for just a minute. 
when you think about your prayer life, whether you know it's it's sparse or, or almost non-existent, or even you're you're a person who prays daily or all throughout the day, when you think about what your prayers sound like and what you pray for, would you say that you pray kingdom prayers? Would you say that, that your prayers have a kingdom aspect to them? I have a lot of people who ask me to pray for a lot of things. Uh, I get asked to pray for people's health, people's finances, people's relationships, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. In fact, we're going to see that Jesus is going to tell us in the Lord's Prayer in just a minute that we can come to him for those kinds of things, with those kinds of needs. But just a little bit later in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us that we're to seek first his kingdom, to seek first his righteousness. And he says, and all these other things, all the other things that you need, those will be added to you too, but you seek first my kingdom. And I think there's a reason why Jesus tells us to pray about God's kingdom first. And it's because he knows that in our flesh, the pull is always going to be to make our prayers about us. I mean, it's so easy for us to get our eyes fixed on what is temporary and not on what is eternal, to fix our eyes on what is seen instead of on what is unseen. But Jesus' life was all about the eternal. His life was all about the Father, giving him glory, seeking his kingdom. And this line in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's a great reminder that our lives should have that kingdom focus too. I remembered a, a story when I was putting this message together about a couple that came uh, to our lead pastor, Paul Muma and myself a couple of years ago. And they had come to Genesis a few times. They had moved here from out of state. They were in their late 70s and, uh, and fully in retirement. And as we sat around the table in Paul's office, they asked us to pray for them. And I was just blown away by what they wanted us to pray for because they asked us to pray that God would show them how he wanted to use them in retirement. Because even at 70 years old, this couple believed that they could still have a kingdom impact. Now, some of you are retired. I suspect that many of you are not. I have an idea in my mind about what retirement is going to look like. And it looks a lot like sunshine and sandy beaches and uh, doing what I want and taking a nap every day. But I got to tell you, this couple, they were battling tears as they told Paul and I about their desire uh, to seek God's desire for their lives. They, they so desperately wanted God's kingdom to come through them. And I, I want to tell you, I haven't thought about retirement the same since, since I met with that couple. And just realizing that, that if I'm still breathing, God's not done. He's not done with me. And I can still have a kingdom impact even in retirement. I can't tell you how much that meant to me to see uh, this couple so passionate about pursuing God's will, even in that late season of their life. You know, I'm, I'm sure we could have prayed for their health. I'm sure we could have prayed for finances and retirement or strained relationships or whatever else, but that wasn't the priority for them. Jesus says, seek first. Seek first my kingdom. So when you pray, I want to ask you, what are you seeking first? What kingdom prayers are you praying right now? You know, at Genesis Church, our mission statement is helping people find their way back to God. And again, that comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul calls us to be ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors in this world. It's as if Christ was making his appeal through us. Come back to God. Be reconciled to God. There's a better way to live. And maybe a kingdom prayer for you is simply to pray and ask, God, who is it that you've put in my life so I can tell them about you? 
How do you want your kingdom to come through me for them? And it's praying things like, Father, let your kingdom come in my home. Because I know that there are some of you uh, who have people who are far from God in your home and someone in your family. And so you pray that prayer, let your kingdom come in my home, and then you model the love of Jesus for your family. Maybe for you it's let your kingdom come in my neighborhood, and then you go share the love of Christ with your neighbors. Let your kingdom come in my work, and then tell your coworkers about the reason why you have so much joy and so much hope in your life. I mean, can you see how these kingdom-minded prayers, they, they cause us to fix our eyes on what matters most. They cause us to lift our eyes up from the temporary and focus them on the eternal. And what could God do with a church that has a unified, kingdom-minded heart? Let's find out. Let's seek that first. So then Jesus goes on in verse 11, and he says, Give us today our daily bread. And so I want you to write down the word provision provision. Uh, Paul Miller says in A Praying Life that Jesus' prayer for daily bread was an invitation to bring all our needs to him. Okay, so when we've read this or maybe even said it in the past, our, our thoughts instantly go to food, right? We're Americans. We think about food all the time. That's what we do. And so we read daily bread and, uh, and we think, okay, he's talking about food. Well, I would agree with Paul Miller that it's not just about food. This is a way of expressing that God is our provider, that he's the one that we're looking to for provision. But for those of you who are reading A Praying Life with us, I want to give just a brief disclaimer, okay? Because what I'm going to teach you today about daily bread is very different than what Paul teaches in this book. And so here's the disclaimer. This is not God's word, okay? We don't hold this as God's word. This is a tool to help us study God's word, but what we find in a praying life and what you'll find this week, uh, let me say this too. This is still a very helpful tool. So what I'm going to say is not to discredit Paul or any of his teaching. Um, you'll understand in just a moment. What Paul says in the chapter about um, give us today our daily bread, he says that in the Greek, that can be understood literally translated as give us tomorrow's bread today. Have any of you read ahead and come to that statement, by the way? It's in this coming week's reading, so I didn't assume any of you would. I want you to know, that is one way that you can interpret that passage. It's also a very obscure way to interpret the passage. And none of the major translations of the Bible, very few Bible scholars would say that that's the way to understand this passage. Rather, it's not a passage about tomorrow's bread. It literally is talking about today's bread. Okay, and so with that one little caveat, I just say... Uh, I love Paul, I love this tool, I disagree on that point. So if you get to that chapter and you read that and you think, that's not what Ben said, I just want you to know, I, I didn't pull that out of the air. Uh, there, there are several different views on that passage. Here's what I think is, is a more appropriate way to view, give us today our daily bread. And it's the same mindset we find in Proverbs uh, 30, verses 8 and 9, which says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. There it is again that daily bread thought. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And so we think about those two different prayers, and I bet we can all relate with a prayer to God that says, God, please don't, don't put me into poverty. I don't want to be poor, right? We could pray a prayer like that, but I want to know right now, how many of you have ever prayed a prayer where you said, God, do not make me rich, 
Just whatever you do, do not give me wealth, do not give me money, I don't want to be rich. Why would he say to, to pray that? Why would he pray that? Because he says, if, if you give me riches, Lord, there's a danger that I might have too much and I might disown you or say, who is the Lord? I don't even need God. Look at all that I've accumulated for myself. That's always the pull of our flesh, isn't it? The, the desire for more. And it's a desire that's rooted in security. But the prayer that Jesus modeled and give us our daily bread, it's a reminder that God is our security. He's our provider. He is all we need for today, and he will be all we need for tomorrow. So Jesus says when you pray, just pray for your daily bread and be satisfied in that. Don't forget that God's your provider. He wants to take care of your needs. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I realize that some of you have come in here today uh, feeling anxious about something. In a crowd this size, certainly there are a lot of different situations going on, and, and some of you have brought those situations with you. And if you were honest, you'd have to say, I, I'm feeling anxious about some things today. And, and you have some real needs, and maybe you need God's provision in your finances or in your health or in your marriage, or your parenting, or other relationships. I like what Paul Miller says in A Praying Life when he says that all of Jesus' teaching on prayer can be summarized with one word, ask. Whatever those needs are for you, ask him. And keep on asking. Don't give up and don't take matters into your own hands. Maybe he's not going to fix everything right now. Maybe he's just going to give you what you need just for today. But are we being faithful to ask? Present your request to God. Trust him to provide. And then Jesus says this in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so the fifth word I want you to write down is forgive. Fifth word to guide our prayers is forgive. And Jesus says when we pray, we should ask God to forgive us. But it's also time to evaluate our own willingness to forgive others. And when you really think about Jesus' words here and what he's asking us to pray, this is a pretty serious thing. I would even say this is a, a dangerous prayer. Because what we're saying when we pray this is, God, to the same measure that I have forgiven the people who have wronged me, that's how I want you to forgive me. That's what we're praying when we pray, forgive me my sins, as I have also forgiven those who have, have wronged me. And so is that really what we want? Do we really want God to forgive us the way that we've forgiven others? How many times have we said those words, all the while holding some kind of wrong over someone else's heads, you know, with a spirit of unforgiveness towards someone else? Why, why would Jesus tell us to pray this way? Well, I think he's reminding us of the motivation for our forgiveness of others. It points us toward the total uh, unconditional forgiveness that God offers us when we sin. We read in Psalm 103, 12, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And by the way, east and west, those are, are uh, directions, not locations. And so you can't even measure how far that is. You can't even measure how far he has separated our sin for, uh, from us. In the book of Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about the Lord blotting out our sins. He remembers them no more. He removes them. He remembers them no more. But so many times I think people pray with a heart that's more like this. Forgive me my debts as I have forgiven my debtors, except I'm still kind of angry at them and I'm pretty bitter about it and I kind of hope bad things happen to them. But forgive my sins, God, even though I'm not forgiving theirs. Does that maybe sound a little bit more appropriate? 
But Jesus is giving us a reminder in this prayer, and it should be a daily reminder that a spirit of unforgiveness, it's not okay. And some of you, when I talk about forgiveness, there's a name and a place and a situation that comes to your mind immediately. And you have carried that around for far too long. Because right after Jesus finishes this model prayer, he moves into what I think are two of the most sobering passages in the entire New Testament. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, look at what Jesus says. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, what do we do with that? Those are Jesus' words. And I, I don't know how to soften that. I don't know how to make that more palatable because the reality is whatever they did to you, it was wrong. I mean, whatever that situation is that you've been carrying around, it's, it's real. I mean, you can point to all the facts. You might have been an innocent party and everything that they did was completely wrong. In a court of law, they, they, would, be, they would be sentenced. I mean, they, they were guilty as can be. But know this, Jesus knows how you feel. He knows exactly how that feels. The Father knows the cost of forgiveness. And let's never forget that he paid it for us. And what he's done for us, he expects us to do that for others. So, so when you pray, ask the Father to search your heart about this. Ask him to see if there's any offensive way in you because it's offensive to God that he would give us forgiveness, that we would receive that forgiveness, but then we would be unwilling to pass it along to others when they wrong us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then Jesus closes with this one. This is uh, verse 13. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the last word is deliver. Deliver. And that lead us not into temptation, that line trips a lot of people up, you know, and, and they ask, you know, does God lead us into temptation? Well, we know from James 1.13 that he doesn't. He can't be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone to sin. The heart of this passage is simply understood as God don't let me be led into temptation. Don't let me become so casual about sin or get so close to the line that I actually can't even tell where that line is anymore. Make me aware. Make me alert. Don't let me be led astray. That's the heart of this prayer. He says, but deliver us from the evil one. And did you know that that's exactly what Jesus prayed for his disciples the night before he was going to be crucified? As he's praying for his disciples in John chapter 17, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. No, my prayer is that you protect them from the evil one. Why does he pray that? Why does he ask us to pray that? Well, what Jesus did on the cross, he destroyed the penalty of sin. He broke the power of sin. But the presence of sin, that is still our reality. And it will be our reality until Christ comes again. You and I live in a broken world. It's sin-soaked. It's all around us. And we're going to live with the presence of sin until Christ comes again. So just trying to be a good person, it's not going to cut it. We need God's power to deliver us from evil. We need a supernatural protection from the evil one. We need to be daily asking God for strength and help in resisting temptation and sin. Because whatever those evil actions have been for you, Jesus came to save you from that. 
He says, I don't want you just to, to keep on living in that sin until I come back. There's a better way to live. I've modeled it for you. He, he's come to give us a different life, a different nature. And it's like that old person is gone and the new person has come. But it doesn't come by our strength. It doesn't come by our attempts to, to be better. It comes through surrendering to Christ every single day. And Jesus isn't asking us just to check in with him once in a while you know, at the minimum, Jesus was patterning a daily habit here. When you think about the fact that he included daily bread in this prayer, when you, when you literally have to ask for today's bread today, do you know what you have to ask for tomorrow? Bread again. You got to come back the next day and ask for daily bread, and the next day and ask for daily bread. So we see that this is intended to at least be a daily kind of model. It's every day coming to God, acknowledging him as your father, recognizing his holiness, seeking his kingdom, trusting his provision, receiving and sharing his forgiveness, and then clinging to him as the one who can deliver us from sin. I want to know this morning, are you being faithful to that? Have you been faithful to that? And maybe you've been listening to us talk about prayer for the last few weeks, and you want to pray, you really do. But man, you think to yourself, there is so much junk in my past. There's so much stuff that I've done. God doesn't want a relationship with me. Let me tell you something. That stuff in your past is the whole reason why Christ came in the first place. That is a lie from Satan to think that all the stuff in your past means that Christ doesn't want a relationship with you. Do you think he doesn't know? Do you think he didn't see you in those moments of temptation and sin and evil? He knows everything. He's the all-knowing God. And the Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ came. While we were still sinners, he wants you to come home. He wants you to relate to God like your father. He wants to love you and be in an intimate relationship with you. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. Everything can be different today. I'd love to talk to you more about that after the service today. It can happen right here, right now. But I know that there are others of you here today who you've accepted Christ into your heart, but if you were honest, you would have to say that your prayer life is pretty flat. And maybe you're just doing this random check-in thing with God when life gets hard or things aren't making sense. And I just want to say to you, there is so much more. God has so much more for you. He wants so much more from you. And so if you have thrown in the towel on prayer or maybe just neglected it, I wonder, would you just commit to one week, one week of praying the way that Jesus prayed, one week of trying this and putting this into practice, Father, holy, kingdom, provision, forgive, deliver. Let those six words guide your prayers this week. Maybe even get six pages of paper or six note cards and write the title at the top of each one of them. If you like to write out your prayers, pray under those categories for a week. Just give it a try. And let those six words guide you in prayer. Because again, as a Christian, you cannot move forward in your relationship with God apart from prayer. So where you are right now is where you are going to be a year from now and 10 years from now and the day you die if you do not put this into practice. Is that what you want? Is that what you think God wants for us? Man, let's move forward in this. Let's pray the way Jesus prayed. Let's see what God has in store for us as people and as his church. Okay, will you do it one week? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. 
Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you love this world so much that you sent your one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God, we just confess today that we have been apathetic in this area of prayer. Father, that, uh, that as we read Jesus' model of prayer, that there are some things that we can be praying for on a consistent basis. We don't have to grab in the dark for, for what it is or how it is or how to do it. You've given it to us. Father, we want to be faithful to it. And so for my brothers and sisters here today who maybe are, are recommitting this morning and saying, man, I, I've neglected this, I'm back in coming back in the game. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to give them strength, to give them wisdom. Uh, Father, to give them an undivided heart and to give them, uh, Father, just a, a, a single vision towards you. A vision that's not distracted by the things of this world or, or their current situation. But Father, that they would come to you faithfully every day, every moment of every day trusting you, Lord, as our good Father, our holy God, our provider, the one who has a, a will and a, and a plan for our lives, Father. You've forgiven us. You've given us your Holy Spirit to deliver us uh, from the enemy. Father, find us faithful to tapping into that this week and begin a new pattern of prayer in us here at Genesis Church. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. 